What is going on, everybody? Hopefully you guys are all doing well out there. That's right. We are back, taking a break from the festivities around the house and here to bring you another Sports Card Show podcast. Really, mainly thanks to people on Twitter. Uh, I think sent me several of these topics, so I want to appreciate everybody out there. You can always get a hold of me that way, at Sports Card Radio. You can always send us an email, sportscardshow at gmail.com. You can get at us on Facebook, YouTube, however you need to do it. Um, any suggestions uh, for the show, any um, topics, certainly. Uh, anything that you want to suggest, I, I certainly encourage it because it definitely helps uh, the show move along. Without the suggestions, I uh, probably wouldn't even have a show today, so I appreciate that. Um, so we're going to talk about the Panini replay uh, replacement, or kind of the make good, I guess if you could call it that. Uh, we talked on the last show, uh, this product called Panini Replay Basketball came out, and it was like, it was really bad. It was priced pretty high, like uh, over $230 a box, I think. And from what from almost all accounts and from the very brief moments uh, that I wasted in my life to see a group break of that, um, it's pretty bad product, uh, you know. And, and again, as collectors, I think we all expect, you know, we're going to pay $230 for a product. We're not expecting to get $200 back every time. Sure, it'd be nice. Um, it'd even be nice to get a hundred dollars back in value, and and by back, I, I'm not, I don't mean that you know everybody's a reseller. Uh, it, certainly, if I went to the jewelry store to buy my wife something, I, it, I don't want to buy her some jewelry that it's like buying a new car or something where I drive off the lot, the the car goes down in value. I don't want to buy her a necklace for a thousand. That I could have bought at the pawn shop up the street for five hundred, um, so you know, burn me enough times. Uh, I don't care what it is, whether I'm buying jewelry or a car or baseball cards or football cards or basketball cards. You get burned enough times, uh, you know. It's, I, I don't. I expect collectors to get upset uh, as they have. So we'll talk a little bit about what Panini has offered up as a replacement and kind of the controversy. I mean, Panini can do no right. Uh, in this situation, they really um, may have made it worse. So we'll talk about that. This one did come in via Twitter. I wish I could have it up. If I was cool, I'd have the guy's name, but but I do appreciate it. Um, he wanted to know about Transcendent ba- uh, Baseball. So this is a set that Tops came out with. I think my brother's going to the... I think there's like a Chris Bryant thing in Las Vegas where he's going to be there. I think they they have some other prizes and things like that. I think they're the the tickets to go are pretty expensive or people want a lot of money for them. Um so we'll see how that goes. I'm, I'm pretty sure my brother will will report back uh, as much as possible on that. But uh, outside of that, I thought I thought that was kind of interesting that uh, and, and we'll see the the value quote unquote on on having one of those those tickets uh, aside from I'm sure you're going to get a Chris Bryant autograph or two uh, or or maybe as many as you want I have no idea but um, or a handshake that that's worth something too he did just win a World Series in a photo um, but anyways uh, tops transcendent baseball the thing is is this product was I tried to find the price I think it was like fifteen thousand bucks or something I mean it was it was a ridiculous amount of money so either you need to be a, a baller. Uh, 
in a, in a in a real way too, not just one of these credit card ballers or or something like that or a temporary baller. You literally need to be a millionaire to be able to afford a $15,000 box. I don't know anybody and and quite frankly, the wealthier people I know, the cheaper you get. Uh, and it's not really cheap. It's just you you know, you could spend fifteen thousand dollars on something, but not a a box of baseball cards. So certainly, this was made for group breaking. People are taking advantage of that. Certainly, there probably are a handful of people. I guarantee you, there's a handful of people out there in this world that cracked a box on their own. Uh, so we'll talk about transcendent and just kind of in general, like these super expensive uh, products and, and stuff like that. Kind of where where the industry's headed there. Um, the Pawn Stars guy, so Steve Grad. If you watch Pawn Stars, I have watched. Uh, I don't know. It's like in its millionth season or something, and I've watched a lot of the episodes. I just find it kind of cool. I like learning about antiques and and the price. I like seeing the value of stuff and see how much stuff goes for. Um, I like following the price of stuff, so hence I like the stock market. So it's cool to to watch the show, and and Steve Grad makes an appearance on there. And what I've always wondered is if he, it was almost like an appearance fee. Like like I was always wonder. I'm sure the Pawn Star guy grades a lot of coins. He probably grades baseball cards. He probably uses PSA services, and I'm sure he gets uh you know MS sixty five on a lot of coins. Um, and things like that. But I was always wondering, is PSA, I was wondering if PSA was like paying to have Steve Grad there or if Steve Grad was was there because I, I'm sure he's he's friends at this point with the owner or the owners of the shop. But I was wondering if if some of those are appear, like guys, a company like PSA might pay for that spot. I have no idea. We'll find out because... Steve Grad no longer works for PSA, so we'll see if the CV keeps appearing on the show, or if uh, someone else from PSA shows up. We'll see. Um, Steph Curry has he peaked? Talk about that. 2017 Top Series One is almost out. I think it comes out in like. I mean, some of you might might be opening up packs as we as we uh, as you're listening to this podcast now. Um, by the time this podcast comes out and you download it and have free time to listen to it, Top Series 1 might be out. And so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Silver Pack promotion. I'm not going to get super in-depth in, on what I expect in there, but we'll briefly talk about uh, Top Series 1. It's always a set worth uh, talking about. Speaking of tops, we'll talk about the website hack. Ooh. So it looks like you if you bought something on Tops, their website, I think they gave a certain date range, but... Um, yeah, they looks like they got hacked and we'll talk. Well, we always have to talk. I think every show will, will mix in a little bit of NBA, NBA, mainly the Lakers. And we'll talk, I'll try to mix in a college prospects, but quite frankly, I don't, uh, what I will say about next 2017 NFL draft is appreciate the 2016 draft, uh, because, uh, the guys that are playing right now are, you know, they're they're still going to be well collected, I think, next year. So first topic we're going to talk about is the Panini replay replacement. So let's um, let's actually bring this up because a lot of this, a lot of the discussion is in a blowout thread, and I linked uh, to it on the last one ninety seven. I think was our last show. 
There's a link to that thread in here. It's still going on. Guys are still posting in it. Couple one interesting thing is uh blowout put up the pricing uh where it's fi- 2015-16 Panini Replay Hobby Box is uh regular price is $230. And if you pay $230, you will get the one mosaic uh basketball set or box that I'll talk about in a minute. Um, and that's what Panini decided to do to try to make this quote-unquote right. Now, the interesting thing is that that box of Mosaic is already have a value kind of placed on it, at least by blowout cards, because they'll sell you the 2015-16 Panini Replay Basketball box for $159, which is $70.88 off uh, a Mosaic box where you get... Um, where it's Panini Replay and Mosaic. So you get the Panini Replay box and the replacement from Panini. That will cost you $230. If you just want the Boo Boo Panini Replay box, that's going to cost you $159. So we've already seen uh, kind of a price discrepancy there. I think it's kind of interesting that the Mosaic box, which is Panini's answer kind of uh, replacement to this, is essentially like a set of prism cards so they decided to uh panini decided to take their arguably most well collected brand i think everybody likes uh, all their uh like all their higher end brands but those those cards are pretty expensive and there's not that many of them so a lot of people you know collect prism much like they used to collect tops chrome or maybe tops finest um, but certainly tops chrome um because there's all the different prisms and there's you can put together a mosaic or a rainbow. But uh, the the thing is, is this is counted as a 15, 2015, 2016 product. So technically Carl Anthony Towns is going to be included in this mosaic prism set. So you might ask why that's a big deal. Well, Carl Anthony, that basically adds another... Carl Anthony Towns uh, prism rookie card to kind of the the circulation. So that's kind of odd that, you know, collectors of his cards, collectors of anybody's cards, any rookie last year, I guess, um, you know, any rookie, So Panini puts together this uh, this prism set. It appears to have a value of about 70, 80 bucks, somewhere in that range. My guess is that value, at least blowouts placing that value on it right now. My guess is that value will trend downward um, as time goes on. That's just kind of how those things work. But Panini's Panini's attempt to make it right ends up screwing over maybe the loyal customers that collected 1516 Prism because now if they had a go- the only gold uh, you know, to a guy's jersey number, now there's going to be another one. Or if they had the one-of-one one Carl Anthony Towns or the one-of-one one, uh, D'Angelo Russell or whatever the nice card is, now there's going to be another one. 
And it's because Panini screwed up. I'm sure the cards will, those higher end cards will still have their value. I wouldn't be, I mean, easy for me to say, I don't have any of these cards. But uh, on the high, high end, I don't think it's going to be like your card's going to get cut in half in value or whatever, something like that. Uh, I still think it'll have value. Will these next, you know, this next wave of mosaic, 1516 prism cards once those hit the market will they sell for as much as the quote-unquote real ones or the ones that came out actually in 1516 prism i I don't think they'll be as valuable but certainly they'll be well collected certainly of someone like carl anthony towns and and a lot of the rookies and and uh russell westbrook and steph curry and all those guys look they'll be well collected but it does kind of suck if you put in the time or put in the effort and cer- certainly put in your harder money to collect Prism from last year, technically last year, and now they're releasing more of these cards onto the market, it does hurt you. And you might not, you know, you might have done the right thing. I mean, on this show, I, t- I preach to you guys. I say, hey, pick and choose. Be patient. Wait for the price to go down. The price always goes down on this stuff. I mean, space and real estate is not free. If nobody's buying the cases, they got to drop the price. I mean, it's simple supply and demand. There's a lot of supply and it's sitting around a warehouse. They got to drop the price. Or they got to create incentives to buy it. So I say, hey, focus on what you really like. Like, really like, okay? And I've had this conversation with like a friend of mine. He would go, I mean, he's like one of these guys that just wants to date any girl that has two legs. And after a while, it was like, dude, maybe be a little selective because you're, you know, you're starting to hang out with the the crackheads and the, and the, and the crazy girls. Maybe you skip over those. Maybe go hang out instead of meeting girls at the bar. Maybe try to meet them at the uh, country club or something. I don't know. But it's the same thing with basketball cards or baseball cards. And we we try to teach it on the show. Be selective. Don't just go after every set. Go after the set that has everything you're looking for. Not everything you're looking for, but... um, Something you can get excited about, something you can get a passion about, not just buying the, the next set off the, off the shelf. And this stuff hangs around long enough on the secondary market and in packs and in boxes, and it typically goes down in price. So it's no, no, no you know, I think it happens more in baseball. You have a guy that'll collect Topps Heritage for three, four, or five months or the whole season sometimes or longer. Or you have the Panini sticker guys, well, they'll collect the whole sticker album maybe long after the season's over. So we try to teach you on the show, be selective, and then Panini still, you know, screws you. Because you could have been selective, collected Panini. I mean, I rarely buy Panini cards even on Check Out My Cards now, but I will buy a Prism card. I will buy it if it's something like Tom Brady or someone like that. Some of their Hall of Fame stuff, I will say, Panini, some of the Hall of 
Panini's Hall of Fame stuff does sell. I don't know how collectible it is. I just know. Um, actually, my biggest profit, I actually posted an article on the site on Sports Car Radio, and I'll probably try to touch on that article. Um, my biggest profit was a Panini card. Um, so Panini stuff does sell. I try to avoid it, quite frankly, not because I have some kind of personal problem with Panini necessarily. I mean, I don't like what they're doing with Panini Replay. I don't like their solution. I don't like a lot of, I don't like the, the way the business is being run, but I mean, it's a crappy business that they're in. I think they could be doing a lot of things better, but you know, I try to avoid their stuff, honestly. I try to avoid even their single cards. I'm not buying into breaks. I'm not buying packs and, and boxes, but I do try to avoid it. And that's, honestly, guys, that's my only, I, I don't have, you know, I don't have any other tips or any other, you know, there's nothing else I could say other than I would avoid buying Panini stuff until it's in stock. That goes for group breakers. That goes for the average guy buying into a break. That goes for the guy walking into the card store. The guy walking in the card store is going to buy what, what's off the shelf typically. Um, and I, I don't mind that kind of purchase. That's a, that, that's, and even like the guy buying into the break, you're typically just buying what the breaker is selling to you or has at the moment or whatever is out. I get it. But if you're ordering this stuff, don't, just wait. Panini has to make this product. It's not like they can't make it, okay? They've guaranteed the NFL Players Association, not the NFL, okay? There's the NFL license that you get. That's from all 30-odd team owners. That's so you can put the Dallas Cowboy logo on a card. That's so you can put the... Um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers logo on a card. Okay, those logos. <laughs> that's why owning a football team is a, uh, is a great business because you have an appreciating asset. And in the meantime, you can lease out just the logo and the pictures of the players for a, a royalty on every sale. And it's, I think it's a double digit royalty if, I'm, if the information I get is correct. It's like a 10% royalty. That's the NFL. Now, that the players have their own players' union. And to put them on the card is another royalty on top of that. It's another almost double-digit royalty. I think it's in the same ballpark. They're both about the same as far as I know. But Panini, uh, I, I don't know what they guaranteed the NFL, but the, I, we know publicly that they guaranteed the NFL Players Association $10 million a year. That's a lot. It might be $20 million. I can't remember off the top of my head. I think they signed a 10-year 10 10-year, 10 $200 million contract or something, and it was like $20 million a year. It was basically Tops and Panini combined when they both made football cards. We're doing about $20 million in royalties, I think, a year. And what Panini did was basically just guarantee what both companies were doing. 
And that's a huge risk, guys. We've seen the television ratings of the NFL go down this year. Tickets to a Pittsburgh Steelers playoff game, I saw this on Twitter, were like 30 bucks. This is the Pittsburgh Steelers home playoff game. I guarantee you a year ago and, and definitely like eight years or ten, about 10 years ago, any home playoff game, let, let alone any home game, let alone a home playoff game, I don't care what the weather is, was a triple digit ticket. People just are not turned on by the NFL right now. I don't, it's the, I, my assumption is, you know, everybody can put, point their finger to a lot of different things. To me, it, it's, it's several things wrapped up into one. You have Colin Kaepernick Neal, and I am actually I, I'm actually in his hometown right now. I'm in Colin Kaepernick country, so I'm not going to tell you if I think it's right or wrong for him to kneel. It's his right, um, but hey, I do know, especially on financial blogs, because they have um, discussion of NFL ratings going down, is a big deal to Disney, is a big deal to NBC, it's a big deal to CBS. It's a big deal to all these net Fox. It's a big deal to all these networks. Okay. ESPN, which is Disney. And it's their number one content. It's what they spend a ton of money on and the ratings are going down. And I see a lot of comments saying Colin Kaepernick. I don't know if that's, if it's true, if it's just the segment I'm reading, but there are a segment of NFL fans out there not watching Colin Kaepernick. We're not watching the NFL as much or not supporting or as, as excited about it because of him. I think fantasy football has either peaked, is definitely peaked, and also daily fantasy got cooled. I was really excited about daily fantasy. I certainly would be playing this year if there was college daily fantasy. I would be really, I was really excited about um, ha- coming back for another season. I thought I'd really have a really good really good season playing daily college fantasy football. But unfortunately, with all the... I knew once once you get the government involved, it, you know, it kills an industry. You can look at online poker. You can look at anything. Once the government starts regulating it, taxing it, it just... It, it just... At least with the... Especially with gambling. I won't say with all industry... You know, maybe marijuana, maybe some of these other things that are starting to get more regulated and kind of brought into the mainstream. Maybe it won't be as negative, but I know with online gaming, once government gets involved, it's over. Um, and, and certainly Daily Fantasy is cooled off. DraftKings and FanDuel are broke. Um, and uh, yeah. So my point was... You know, and we have Tom Brady and we have, we just have all this stuff with the NFL. You know, nobody's letting their kid play football. I say nobody, but less people are letting their kids play football. And that's it. That, I mean, I think the, the combination of all that um, is certainly driving down interest and things just can't go up forever. Ratings just can't keep going up and up. Interest and passion can't keep going up and up. And there's certainly pockets of interest. Certainly Dallas Cowboy fans, which is a huge segment of the NFL, are, are not tuned out. Um, they're very excited about their team, as they should be. So 
stop by. My point, a whole long point is the NFL has peaked at least for a short period of time. It's either plat, you could say peaked or plateaued. I think one of the two terms you could use. That's not good for Panini, especially if we see another year of declines next year. Like I said, $30 Steeler playoff tickets is. I also texted um, a really uh, great fan of the show who has season tickets um, to another one of the playoff teams. I asked him how he did on his tickets. He did profit, but, um, you know, I think he he would even admit that probably, you know, a year or two ago it was much, much hotter um, in the NFL. And so um, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe an offseason can change things. Certainly, uh, as football season winds to an end and then comes back, there is a, a quite a bit of excitement. But, uh, you know, year to year, things change quite a bit. So my advice is you got to stop buying this Panini stuff. This is for everybody. You just got to stop buying it. You're going to squeeze their necks. This is how companies in this business have gone broke many, many, many times. I mean, the list is too long from Leaf to Donruss, not the current Leaf, but the former Leaf before it was brought back. Uh, Donruss, Pacific, Press Pass, on and on and on and on and on, Okay. Pretty much every card maker except Tops, really. Every card maker except for Tops, or all, virtually every single one has gone broke. And it often has to do with overpromising money to the leagues, overpromising money to the players, not paying the players, eventually not paying the players, then that trickles down to the league. Okay, Panini will do everything it can to pay the leagues. That's like their mortgage, basically. Okay, but the players are like their car or like their electricity bill or, you know, things like that. Obviously, guys like Kobe and Durant, that's like your car. Okay, you're not going to stop paying for your car because you still got to drive to work so you can pay your mortgage. But you know, what ends up happening is these electricity bills and the gas bills and and this bill and that bill start not getting paid. And it starts adding up. Uh, that That's... And also, every business in, in Italy is broke. The whole country is broke. The banks are broke in Italy. Um, I, I just think it's like a house of cards at Panini. Yes, they have some profitable business units. Yes, every four years the World Cup comes around, but come on, not everything goes up forever. And like I said, every just go look at Italy, Italy's finances. This is where this company is based. It's not a that big of a country. There's not that many businesses doing originating from there and and call Italy home. Okay, it's probably one of the biggest businesses in the whole country. And the whole country is broke. The banks are broke. Obviously, lights are still turning on. People are still going to work. People are still eating food, I hope. But all I hear is this country is just screwed. And they need 
They've needed bailout money. So I don't know. The times I've looked into Panini, there's been there's been multiple times where there's been like buyout rumors or we need this guy's selling or this guy wants to sell or we're going to reorganize. They come really quick and then you hear nothing after that. And it's always, you know, that that's always kind of like a pump and dump situation when when you see that in business. So Panini puts those press releases out there because there's no continuing coverage. If there was continuing coverage, then it would, you know there'd maybe be some independent there. But the fact that this coverage comes all at once, oh, this guy wants to sell, they're trying to raise money, they're trying to do this, that's put out there by the company. That's put out there by Panini. So they're trying to raise money, they're trying to reorganize. I don't know how successful they've been. I just know they've tried to do it. Um, and just stop buying their stuff. If you're tired of Panini screwing you over, stop buying it. Wait till the price goes down. Wait till the price goes... I mean, again, with all this stuff, it's just like supply and demand. At some point, Panini Replay is worth buying, okay? It's not worth buying at 230 bucks. Maybe take the zero off. If it was $23 a box... I might buy a box. I don't know. I mean, maybe if, even at that price, it's not worth it. But at twenty-three bucks, what are you losing? At two thirty, it's like it's like a car payment for most people. So you just got to stop buying this stuff. It'll literally squeeze Panini's neck. And they're going to stop paying players and eventually stop paying the leagues and they'll go broke like every other uh, baseball card and football card and bas- basketball card manufacturer ever has, except for Tops. There's no way Panini is going to be F-U-C-K'd next year. I don't, I mean, again, if you listen to this show, I probably should have emphasized the, uh, the players that I called out more, but Last year was a really good year for the NFL. Really good draft. I recall saying on the show, well before Ezekiel Elliott, I think even got drafted, that I could see him dominating the NFL in rushing for several years. And here he is in his first year, and he dominated. I can't say that about a single player uh, in next year's draft. And also, there were several, Jacoby Brissett, Dak Prescott, um, even Connor Cook, I was, you know, I was surprised. He, well, not necessarily surprised. He didn't play that well uh, with the Raiders. I mean, he was kind of throwing in there right at the end. Um, but that was a role I thought he could fill. I thought he could fill in there and play well, but he didn't. Um, the guy for the Browns that got hurt from USC, I can't remember his name, maybe Kessler. Um, not, these aren't going to be superstar players, but, um, gosh, I think I'd rather have though, not cook, but I'd probably rather have Kessler than, and Brissett than I would have almost any quarterback I see coming out next year. Um, so, and obviously you'd rather have Ezekiel Elliott than almost, although I have my guy, Jeremy McNichols, Jeremy McNichols next year. 2017 NFL Draft, 
if nobody's collecting his cards, uh, unless he goes to the Browns or some terrible team, I will probably buy some of them. Moving on, I mean, I just, Panini Replay, it's just another example. Wait till this stuff comes out. Wait till you see it on video. Wait till you see a preview box. Wait till you go to the card shop and look over the shoulder and see a guy open some. Post a question on a message board. Send me a question. Post a tweet. Whatever you want to do. But don't buy any of this stuff from Panini Side Unseen. Wait till the price drops. Or they, they, they throw in a prism set. Just wait. Um, no segue for this, but uh, Tops Transcendent Baseball. So this comes in via Twitter. I don't have my Twitter up right now, but I do appreciate this question coming in. Um, wanted to just, I think, in general, talk about Tops Transcendent Baseball and how this was like a 15 million dollar product. I don't know. It was like 15,000 or something. It was ridiculous. So it's basically you're either a baller or group buying this stuff. Um, and I'm trying to think, I was trying to think to myself, like where, what is another industry like that? Where it's like, either you have to be mega rich or you have to have like a bunch of friends that also want to buy it. You know, obviously if you're buying like a big mansion, you know, that's typically a baller. I could see maybe like three or four young friends getting together, but that probably doesn't happen very often either. So tops transcendent baseball. I'm not exactly, I mean, obviously we're, we're sure on the market of it. It's definitely meant for group breaking, but is that really where the industry needs to go? Especially at the $15,000 price point. I mean, I think you guys, if you've been listening to this show for eight years or however long it's been, I think you probably guys understand how I feel about a 17000 You know, I like what Tops does for the most part. I like their strategy. A lot of their products, we'll talk about Top Series 1 later on in the show, a lot of their products revolve around that $80, you know, 60 to $80 price point. It's almost like a pair of shoes, okay? And I actually think that is that is the price point these days, is a, is a pair of sneakers, okay? On the low end, you can get a $40 pair of Nikes, okay? Even cheaper than that, I got a pair of $20 Nikes on right now if you go to the outlet stores and there's a sale. Or you get online and you have a coupon or whatever. You get a pair of $25, $30 Nikes. And that's like your low-end opening day product or Panini sticker product. Okay? But then, you know, an $80 pair of Nikes. I have an $80 pair of Nikes. $90 pair. I tried to buy. Nike has this new app. You can tell I'm... Tell what my number one, uh, my number one holding is in my portfolio. Um, sneakers, S N K R S. Like if you search this in the App Store, it's actually pretty cool. Um, it's it it basically shows some sneakers that Nike has in stock, but then it shows all their sneakers that are coming out. So like all the Jordans that are coming out, all the 
the low tops, women's, men's, anything, the running shoes, um, all their shoes are on here and you can set it to notify you, which is, I think is pretty cool. So I've been trying to buy, I tried to buy the Kyrie Irvings that came out on Christmas. I was, I think if I had logged in there right when those shoes went live, I would have got them, but those shoes, you could have bought them on the sneakers website for 120 and they were selling for, I don't know what they sell for now, but I know they're selling for like two, two twenty. I think the day after Christmas, I think is when they actually came out. So, and I've also seen some other shoes on here where if you were on here and you bought these sneakers and you had, you know, it doesn't really matter the size, but obviously 10, 11, 9, 10, 11, 12 is probably the sweet spot size you're trying to get if you're trying to resell it. Um, yeah, you can sell, you can sell them. I'm not really trying to do it for that purpose. I'm trying to, trying to get it more as a long-term kind of alternative investment because I've seen the price of Jordan sneakers just continue to increase and sneakers in general. And not to mention, I want some of those self-lacing Nike. I don't want this. I can't afford the $720. I mean, maybe if I could have had an opportunity to buy the $720 ones, I would have, but I know that they're coming. That's like the model S for, of Tesla. It's the most expensive one. And they're coming out with, with lower end models, but I'm definitely going to shoot for, you know, to finish off my point, Nike makes nice shoes in that 89 was trying to buy a $90 pair of, of ones that sold out on the app. That's why I got on the app, uh, tangent there, but, and that's where tops is with a lot of their products, heritage series one, series two update tops, Chrome, uh, uh, gypsy queen, Allen and Ginter bang, 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 bang. I mean, I can just name off the top of my hand. There's many more than that. I'm sure that are in that 70 to 80 to $90 range. Okay, $100 maybe top of that range. And that, that's a nice pair of shoes. Now, if I want the LeBrons or, I mean, the Nikes actually had to lower their price. And when we start, talk about Steph Curry in a little bit, we'll talk about his shoes and, and the impact of Under Armour stock. His performance has had, or lack of performance, probably is a better way to put it, Um. You know, Nike's actually had to drop the price. I think they were trying to get 180 or 150 for a lot of these signature seekers, and they realized more 120, 120, 140 is probably where you're at unless it's a Jordan sneaker or something really special. And that's where Topps is sometimes. Topps kind of skips that. Maybe I'm not as familiar with their products, but I want to say Top skips that 120 price point a little bit. I can't think of a ton of products that they come out with that are right there at that 120. I actually think that's where they probably should be because these companies, they end up jumping. Tops in particular jumps from that 60 to 80 to $100 product. Then it's like 200 and above. Um, and I think there's a gap there that I think I'd rather as a card company be in that 60 to 1, 21, 30 price range. Just like Nike is. Okay, it's not like Nike, I, mean, I just talked about a $720 pair. That was retail price for these shoes. Um, and, and certainly Nike has many, 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 many shoes that are in that high-end price point. But we're talking about Nike here. One of the, the greatest brands in the world, probably top five at least. But that's what Panini is. That's what Tops is. It's a brand. It's not a card company. 
It's a marketing company. Even uh, you listen to the Nike uh, Nike conference calls. I swear, every single I've been listening to them for a long time now. I think every single one of them, one of the executives, especially the CEO, likes to say, "We're not a clothing company. We're not a shoe company." They say this. We're a marketing company. They say that. And I I honestly think that about Panini. I think that about Tops. And I think, you know, a marketing company, they're marketing a brand. And I don't know what a $15,000 product does for your brand, quite frankly. I can buy a Rolex for $15,000. I can buy a car for fifteen, not one I'd want to drive, but I could buy a car for fifteen thousand dollars, not safely at least. There's plenty of cars I'd I'd buy and drive for fifteen, but <laughs> unless it's like an old Benz or something like that, I wouldn't drive it daily or a truck. I can buy really nice jewelry, okay? I am a connoisseur of jewelry. I love buying jewelry, okay? The only problem is the more you love buying jewelry, it's, it gets harder and harder to top yourself. So you have to wait between purchases. $15,000 of jewelry would be incredible. Like I'm telling you, it'd be like a museum piece. Literally, if you knew what you were doing for $15,000, you literally could create a museum piece of jewelry that your wife literally should feel almost like concerned when she, not concerned, but like, holy shit, I have a $15,000 piece of jewelry on right now. And I think with these, these card companies, what's, you know, now we're at $15,000. I, I mean, I, I may be totally wrong on the price point of this box, but what, what I mean, are we going to have a $35,000 product next year? Will it be, can I buy a C-class Mercedes fully equipped or buy this baseball box? <laughs> can I buy this double wide trailer in Iowa? Or can I buy a baseball box? I mean, I just, I just don't know. And the other point that has brought, been brought up by a lot of people, I, I don't think I even really, uh, someone else, I've seen this, someone else made me aware of this, but it is essentially true. Okay, a Mike Trout autograph out of 10 is worth X dollars. I don't really know, but we'll call it, we'll just call it, we'll pull a number out of the air. It's 400 bucks. We'll call it 400 bucks. Mike Trout autograph numbered out of 10. Not a rookie year one, probably not a second year one, but anything after his second year, anything not considered a prospect card, anything, especially in the last, we'll call it two, three, four seasons. Any Mike Trout autograph out of 10 is worth 400 bucks, we'll call it, okay? Certainly, there's variations in there. There's some on-card stuff. Maybe his signatures will maybe put in, maybe, you know, maybe there's some a little bit variation here and there. Certainly, the photograph and, and the quality of the card, 
but we're in that same range. Now, when, a, when Mike Trout's transcendent autograph out of 10 hits the market, which is a box that is like literally like a thousand times more expensive than, than almost anything they put out. That Mike Trout autograph is not worth like 800 times what uh, a triple threads one out of 10 or an Allen and Ginter one out of 10. Might have a little bit of a premium there. But the more these card companies go this direction, the more they're going to have to, like, what else are they going to have to do? I mean, now it's, okay, fly to Vegas and hang out with Chris Bryant and, and, and whatever. Maybe they were having a signing there and they can turn these maybe signings with their with the top athletes like Chris Bryant or like uh, uh, Kobe Bryant or, or someone like that. Maybe they can turn more of those kind of meet and greet things. But um, the minute one of those go bad... That would be bad. That's not going to be good. Um, and obviously, you're going to have to keep topping and topping yourself. And it gets really hard when it's buy a $15,000 box or buy a $15,000 piece of jewelry. And that's all I can compare it to. I mean, there, I mean there's lots of... I'm, buy a $15,000 coin. Buy a $15,000 uh, Corvette. Uh, by, by, you know, there's just a lot of things you can do. $15,000 worth of stock. I know it's getting broken out and we're group breaking it out and guys are really only paying a hundred bucks, but there are guys out there that are buying the two, three, four hundred dollars stuff and they think they're ballers. And now all of a sudden to be a baller, he's got to buy, he's got to buy the $15,000 stuff. And like I said, starting out the show, I mean, to afford this kind of stuff, you, I mean, you have to be a multimillionaire. And that's crazy. I just think it's crazy. I don't think the hobby should go that direction. It's not adding value to the cards. The card companies then will have to add value like having Chris Bryan meet and greets, Kobe Bryan meet and greets, Kevin, you know, play one-on-one -on -one with uh, Kevin Durant. And those things are going to cost more and more money, more and more time. Trust me, these employees don't have a lot of time. That's why these products suck, especially at Panini. So it's a lean and mean operation over there because they're broke. And it's broken air quotes, okay? Donald Trump is broke, okay? And I love the guy, but he's broke, okay? Now, yeah, he has buildings to sell. He has assets generating money. But the reason why he hasn't released his taxes is because if he did, he, it would, on paper, he's quote-unquote broke. You should have, I mean, yeah, he's, I mean, in his level, in, on his, you know, everybody thinks Donald Trump's super, super rich. He's not super rich. That's why he didn't re release his taxes. I don't think he could, I mean, he, he's too cheap to buy a $15,000 box of, of Transcendent. Be glad it was made in the USA. At least I hope it is. I don't know, but I just don't want the industry heading this way. It's too, 
I mean, it's crazy. Don't buy that stuff either. Don't buy the brakes of that. I mean, I mean, again, uh, trickle down to the single card market. I don't think there's much, you know, residual benefit to a card company if you're out there bidding up the single card. Sure, I mean, people open them up to sell them, but I don't know. Moving on, we'll just, I have no segue again. We'll move on to uh, Steve Grad. So he, um, I, I believe, has been with uh, PSA for a long time doing their autograph authentication and maybe some other things. I don't know, but I think he's been with them for a while. He has moved to, or is going to move uh, to Beckett grading and authentication. So. High profile move. Again, if you watch Pawn Stars, he's the guy that comes in um, and, and authenticates, at least in the last. Um, again, that's why I've always wondered, like, do these guys, like, uh, pay Rick to be on the show? Because he's rotated with his autograph expert, okay? Steve hasn't been his go-to guy for all nine seasons or whatever, okay? And um, the same could be, you know, Rick's restorations used to be on there. Now, you know, now he's gone through uh, a couple different people there. Um, so, and, and I, I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, the, the car guy used to have got his own show, and now I don't see him on Pawn Stars anymore. So it could be that these other guys like Rick and, and, and the Count Custom guy get, get you know, celebrity and, and big themselves. They don't have time for it. I have no idea. But... Uh, what I am curious to see is if Beckett, if now, if, if Steve Grad is still uh, Rick Harrison's go-to guy on autographs, because then it'll tell us if he is the go-to guy on autographs or if maybe PSA was paying something for that spot. I could certainly see if I was an authenticator, I'd love to pay for that spot. And I know his coin guy, I think, is with NC, NGC coins, um, or at least some of his coins. He has the NC, NGC guy come in. And he looks at coins. And so I didn't know, you know, he has the PSA, which is PCGS, which grades coins. But then he has the competitors of them come in and look at the coins. I don't know. But I just I just thought it was interesting. If you are, um, you know, if you trusted Steve, I think he's probably is an expert, at least from what I've seen on Pawn Stars. He's uh, certainly an expert on certain things. I think uh, most definitely like Star Wars, it looks like is definitely one of his uh, true expertise, um, but certainly has a broad range. And if you did trust him uh, with authentication that he was doing with PSA, then uh, yeah, he's heading over to Beckett. And so we'll see, uh, see what happens there. So that, that was kind of interesting. PSA is a public company and uh, they do reward their shareholders uh, very well. And uh, we'll see if what they're able to do um, We'll see if this makes any impact. That I mean, because you're going to be able to see it. You're going to be able to look at PSA's numbers and say, here they were with Steve Grad, and here they are without him. And we'll see what kind of impact that made. So definitely something to monitor going forward. So uh, moving on. Has Steph Curry peaked? So uh, Steph Curry... Not having uh, the statistical season, I, I think that's expected a little bit with Kevin Durant coming into town, with the team kind of finding its place within the league. They don't have anything to prove necessarily. 
They have one objective, and that's to get to the NBA Finals again and win it. It's not to win 90 games, or, or you can't even win 90 games, but uh, 82 games or whatever, or 80 games. So he's, I mean, I'm, I bet if you look at his minutes, I haven't looked at his minutes. I looked at his stats the other day. I didn't compare his minutes, or I didn't look at his minutes, really. But his numbers are definitely down, but it, um, some of it's not minute-related. If you look at his field goal percentage, his, his shooting percentage is down. And it could be... The rotation of players, maybe with Kevin Durant on the court, maybe a different player is now guarding Curry, or maybe rotations are hitting him. I don't know, but um, he definitely looks uh, more average. I guess still a great player, but um, his cards were, I don't want to say approaching, they were exceeding Michael Jordan prices in, in a lot of cases, but I mean, it's not an easy or a fair, I want to say a fair comparison with his National Treasures type uh, card compared to a card that there's probably a million of them out there. Um, so, but they've definitely cooled. So Curry prices have definitely cooled. I think for me, I've always been skeptical of him. I don't know if I've really mentioned it on the show that much, but uh, partly because I'm a Lakers fan. So if he was on the Lakers, I'd have a, probably a completely different view of him. Uh, and if he was a Nike guy, might have uh, a different view of him. But because, um, not that I, I think of Under Armour as a competitor, but I've actually published two articles about Under Armour. And it's got they've both got quite the response. Uh, quite, actually, they're my two... I write about finance every once in a while, really, just whenever I feel like it. Um, and the times, just in the last six, seven months, I've really only wrote about Under Armour. And the two times that I did, people just, I mean, you think people light me up on Twitter. It's even better when it's the stock they own. Uh, and then it's even better when it, uh, you know, when you first start talking trash on Under Armour, I think it was like 45 or $50 a share. Now it's like 29 And so you can always go back to your article and kind of ping it with a comment and get under people's skin. It's the greatest thing ever. But uh, I think I was talking about Curry. Uh, for me, uh, when he, he was inconsistent in the NBA Finals, like he had a good game and then he'd have terrible games. In the, and this was in the last NBA Finals that they lost. And then I thought back to my, and I even have talked, I've talked about this to Warriors fans. I've talked about with this privately with a lot of people. It's probably the first time I've said it on this podcast, though. Maybe the first time. I don't know. But I couldn't think of another player, great NBA player, Hall of Fame NBA player, or upper echelon Hall of Fame NBA player, Michael Jordan, certainly, Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. Those are the guys I saw. Even someone like Isaiah Thomas. How many bad games did those guys have in an NBA Finals? How many bad games did those guys have on a national TV game? I mean, go look at like Michael Jordan's stats when he was on like the NBC game of the week. Or go look at any star player when they were on that NBA, I mean, the NBA is different now. You can watch it on Twitter. I saw they were going to maybe sell the last minute of the game or something. I mean, you can watch the NBA a lot now, easily, on YouTube, watch highlights and stuff. But back in the day, not too long ago, 
not even back in the day, not too long ago. It was one game a week, two games a week, three games a week. And certainly in the NBA Finals, I mean, yeah, Kobe's probably had some bad shooting games or a bad game here and there, but he probably was 17 of 35. You know what I mean? Maybe not even that good, like 5 of 35 shooting. At least he got up 35 shots. There were games last year where Curry in the, in the playoffs, it was like he didn't even know he was playing. That was in the playoffs, but certainly in the NBA Finals. When I saw that, I was like, this guy's not that good. Because, again, how many bad games did Larry Bird have in the finals? How many bad games did Michael Jordan have in the finals? Magic Johnson. Even going, go to that second-tier player, Scottie Pippen. How many bad games did he have? How many bad games did Robert Ory have? Sam Cassell. I mean, God, there was a lot of players that had really good final when they were, when they were in that moment, they had good games every game. Or at least had a bad shooting night. And got to the line 15 times, 18 times. So I don't think he's that good. I don't, it's, it's, for me, it's sell, sell, sell on him. I don't think, I think we've definitely seen peak uh, Steph Curry. I think the next, the, you know, uh, Russell Westbrook's going to get all the attention this year with what he's doing statistically wise. So he's going to set an extremely high bar that Curry is not going to be able to uh, compete with. Now, I think some wild cards is I believe he's a free agent. And so he might not be happy. Maybe that's part of the reason why he's not playing well. And so maybe he bounces. Maybe he goes to L.A. Maybe he goes to New York. Maybe he goes to Chicago. Goes to Miami. He takes this, man, if he takes his talent to South Beach, uh, you know, we could have a whole revitalization out of his cards. Although I do know a lot of the Warrior fans, those are some of the most wealthy people in the country. You have all the Silicon Valley money right there. So it's going to take some deep, deep, deep pockets to re-elevate his pocket, uh, card prices. And I just don't, I don't see it. I don't see the, the money re- revitalizing. I mean, the money's flowing in Silicon Valley, but that's uh, plateaued probably is a better way to say it as well. Like all that venture financing and startup and all that stuff has definitely peaked. Or plateaued, again, is probably a better way to say it. And I definitely think... Uh, Steph Curry, I think the way to say it is peaked. I think his card prices have peaked. They're going to come down. We're going to have a reset of his value. And now can he hold the reset of his value? If he keeps playing garbage and then the Warriors flame out, he has a bad year, whatever, they'll keep going down. Then they'll stabilize. We'll see what he does in the offseason. And then it'll be off and running again. But really, I think he's peaked professionally. Unanimous MVP, NBA Finals, et cetera, et cetera. I think that's that's about it. Um, if you're trying to see upward movement in his cards, I, I would not try to catch a falling knife here saying, hey, Steph Curry cards are, are value right now. I don't think so. I don't think so. I don't think they get va- I don't think you find value in his cards. Uh, 
I think you find value by selling them now and then buying them back later at a lower price. I think that's the only way you find value uh, with Steph Curry right now because I think his his cards have plateaued at a lower price and they're gonna just they're gonna go down again. Two thousand and seventeen tops is coming out, so that's exciting. I will look at Target. That's like the one set I will go to Target. I won't go to Walmart. I just hate Walmart. Like, it's just... I don't even know if they have cards at Walmart anymore. Um, I, I, that's, I, I, that's what I've heard. Can't remember when the last time I've been in a Walmart. But for some of you uh, in, in other parts of the country... Walmart is maybe one of the nicer stores or the only store in your area. So I'm not trying to, don't feel like some of you might be driving to a Walmart or in a Walmart or just came from Walmart. I don't want you to, don't want you guys to think, uh, especially middle of the country, East coast, more rural parts of the country. Walmart's different out here in California. Walmart is like eating, you know, two 99 cent tacos and a curly fry for lunch. I mean, it's, Tastes good, but it's not good for you. Uh, so that's kind of how I feel about Walmart. I don't go there. Um, but I will head on over to Target and see um, if I can't pick up a pack or two or a blaster box or a rack pack or whatever it is of Top Series 1 baseball. So I'm, I'm excited to see what's in it. They have these bonus quote-unquote, I guess, um, silver pack, foil promotion. This is a hobby box um, promotion or a hobby shop promotion. Probably Well, hobby shop and, and uh, hobby box promotion, so you're not going to get these silver packs if you go to Target. But, um, yeah, if you go to a card shop and they're participating in this, I think for every jumbo box you get a certain number of them. If you every box you get uh, a, an extra foil pack, and there's going to be, uh, you know, I think it's – the quote on like the 86 tops, I think was the wood bordered, you know, it looks like a, like a, one of those Chevy vans back in the day or shagging wagon vans. Um, that has the wood border on it. So I'm pretty sure those cards are, uh, available in those packs and there's like parallel. So pretty cool. We'll see how well those are received. See how well those uh, sell in the secondary market. I think it'd be kind of interesting. And also, any kind of uh, any kind of surprises in there. I know they got Derek Jeter signing autographs, so he probably, I would assume, would be in there. And uh, there's always, you know, they got like the sparkle or like the squirrel or there's always something a little weird. Um, so I'd like to see. You know, not the sparkle this year be the, the thing people are looking for. Hopefully something different. Um, there's always like some photo variation stuff. I think last year there was like a bat flip card. I think uh, I think that or maybe that was the Tops Now card that, that went viral or something. Um, but uh, or, or got expensive. But um, yeah, there's always interesting stuff. What I like about Top Series 1, I wish, you know, obviously I wish all sets were like this. They can't all be like this, but you really take time to look at all the cards. Uh, even if it's a base card, 
you know, because you don't ever know. Is there a sparkle on it? Is there, is it a different photo than the other ones? Is it, is there a different color back? Is there, you know, you, is there, you know, George Bush in the background or whatever, you know, or whatever. So you got to really look at this stuff. And I think that's kind of cool. That's kind of fun. And the other cool thing is, it is one of the best-selling sets, and I don't know anybody that buys it. Well, I don't want to say I don't know anybody, but I think you could take, you could almost take the autograph content and the jersey content and the relic and the fake relic stuff that they put in there, the manufactured relics and stuff. You could take all that stuff out, and people would still buy it. And I think that, to me, is is the sign of a great set is when you could take out all the autographs, all the memorabilia, all the manufactured boo-boo. You could take out all that stuff and people still people would still buy it. I would still be looking to buy it at the same price. Um, I can't speak for everybody, but um, I, I think that would be cool. Now, if you took all the autograph cards out of Flawless, would you still buy it? Especially for that price? Probably not. If you took all the autographs out of Panini Replay, I mean, nobody's buying it. So, love Top Series 1 for all those reasons. It's a great set. It's well-marketed. Um, sets the tone. And you could take out all the foo-foo and frills. And people would still buy it and collect it for the same price. Um, and I think that's cool. And I think obviously that's hard. Tops doesn't nail that. Maybe they only have one set. They might, I mean, Tops Chrome, I would say too, is although you take the autographs out of Tops Chrome and it's not as good. Um, definitely not as good. Uh, Bowman Chrome, close though. You know, people do back in the day, especially before these autograph rookies were, were one per box or two per box or whatever it is. Yeah, you collected the Bowman Chrome and you try to hit the refractors. And even today, you're trying to hit those cards. So um, Bowman Chrome is close. Tops Chrome close. Um, they're, they're similar price points as well. Um, but, you know, obviously, you take autographs out of Triple Threads Baseball. I mean, nobody buys that set for full price anyways. Take the autographs out of it, and nobody's buying it. Um, so I think card companies really should ask that question more often. Like, let's take all the autographs out, all the jersey cards out. Is this still a good set? If it's a good set, let's make it and go forward with it. If it's not a good set, what can we do to get it there? Or not, not necessarily all the way there, but add, start adding some pieces to some of this stuff. I think that that'd be important. And that's profit margin, too. I mean, there you're just printing cardboard. You're not even manufacturing a relic or a coin or whatever it is or putting a coin or a stamp on there or an autograph, obviously, or a jersey or whatever it is. I think it'd be kind of a good question to ask. Um, Tops website, speaking of Tops, they got hacked. It was the Russians. Um, what I, what I, uh, you know, speaking of the Russians, I do have to, we'll go, we're deep into the show here, deep, deep into the sports card show. We're like in the eighth inning here. So we'll slip in 
little politics. So I want to say that I, I actually, one of the things that Donald Trump has said on Twitter, and I've been following every single one of them, I wake up in the morning and it is incredible. Oh, <laughs> Whether they like them or not, we have a president that is tweeting. And that is, to, I mean, yeah, these other presidents have tweeted and some, some former presidents are tweeting. They're not tweeting like Donald Trump. Donald Trump is tweeting. And this is, I think it's amazing. And I would think if, if Barack Obama would do it or was doing, I mean, I know he's on Twitter, but if he was more free-flowing like this, I guarantee you the, uh, the, his side of the party would say, oh, revolutionary. Every pre- look, at, look at the Obama taking advantage of modern age communication, talking right to the people. <laughs> Donald Trump, he's a, he's a, he should get off there and go into the closed rooms of the Oval Office and do all the negotiations there like they have been. See how well that's worked out. But anyways... I do agree with Donald Trump when he says about the Russians. It's probably in our best interest to have a good relationship with the one country that can blow us into smithereens. I'm not a national defense expert, okay? But from what I have done my research on, the countries that want to attack us either have to hijack our planes, send a guy in, blow up a train, anthrax, that kind of stuff, or it's Russia, okay? China has like one aircraft carrier and they're testing it right now, okay? They have one, I'll repeat that. China has one aircraft carrier and they're, it's testing. It's not out in deployment. They're not landing F-18 fighters on it. They haven't been doing that for like 30 or 40 years like we have in the United States and other countries like Russia. Okay? There's really one country in the world that can threaten America, and it is Russia. And I do agree with any president, Democrat, Republican, Independent, that says it probably is in our best interest to not... um, it's definitely in our best interest to be, I don't want to say friendly, probably friendly is probably the best way to put it. It is in the United States' best interest to be friendly with Russia. Is Russia hacking us? Of course they are. Did they hack the Democrats? Of course they did. Did they put all that information out? Of course they did. Was all that information just the truth? Yes, of course. It's not like the Russians made up lies about the Democrats that people believed. Okay, there's, I know there's fake news, but a lot of the stuff that wasn't fake was, was news enough. So facts are facts. Doesn't matter if it comes from... Russian hacking or NBC News. Facts are facts. And the fact is, the United States of America 
would be, and the world, quite frankly, would be better off if the United States and Russia were friendly. We don't have to go over there and, and uh, handshake and photo op. And, he, and their leadership doesn't have to come here and handshake and photo op. But these are two countries that could ruin the whole world. And it would be in the best interest of everybody if they were friendly. Um, so we got on that subject because of Top's website hacking. Uh, so the Russians did it. Um, but yeah, if you were part of uh, Top's, uh, somebody, I hope you guys have gotten your email or checked your email. If you have made an order off the Top's website, I would say they gave a certain date range. But I would say at any time, I would definitely order new credit cards. Um, that's really the thing for, that's the thing to do is if you ordered it off a credit card, I would call that credit card company and say, send me new cards. And that's not typically that big of a deal. I know I have rebills and all this other stuff, but they never cancel you out and you, and you can go in there and just change the expiration date. Usually, um, I know it's a little hassle if you got Apple pay and things like that, it kind of sucks, but, um, it's better than than having to go in there and try to reverse those charges later on for some furniture or something like that. Um, if you pay through PayPal, I would definitely, I mean, I don't know, but I would definitely change my password on PayPal and change it to a very secure um, string of characters, not something that, that can be remembered. And I think that's all you can do. I think the most important thing, though, to remember is this hack was not, and again, I don't know this for a fact, but from what I know about online hacking and stuff like that, this was not a necessarily a specific hack on TOPS. It was likely a hack on TOPS's, whatever infrastructure TOPS was running. So they either run some kind of off-the-shelf or some kind of off-the-shelf scripting software that these hackers, I'm sure, surf the web of e-commerce sites to who, hey, who's, they, they find a vulnerability, then they go look for the sites that have that vulnerability, and then they attack those certain sites. It wasn't that they were necessarily after, I don't think, I mean, typically not. They're not into seeing, you know, what Ken Gravy Jr. cards you bought and then, uh, you know, somehow maliciously attack you from there. Typically, that's not what these do. Uh, typically, they're trying to get... Sometimes it's just they want information. Sometimes it's a hacking group just trying to show vulnerabilities. They're not really even trying to do anything. Um, I don't believe that's typically not the case in something like this. Although it could be. I know Tops was warned of these vulnerabilities. There was a, I believe, a security site or, or a, a somebody warned Tops publicly about their vulnerabilities on their websites. And obviously, I don't want to say they ignored it, but they, they obviously didn't take the steps to secure their websites. Um, and it's definitely something you have to, you know, everybody out there. I know I did a group break audit last year. This might have been about almost a, a show a year ago. I did it like a group break industry audit where I went to all these guys' sites and you'd be amazed of all the guys without any site security, okay? Or they'd send you to a, a web form where it wasn't secure. But trust me, these guys have no idea if their websites have been hacked or not. 
And if they were, they're not going to send you an email about it. So Tops actually, you know, I don't even think there's any, maybe there's legislation on the books, but it's, they don't even have to tell you. At least that, that was my impression with these hacks in the past. Now maybe it's different. Maybe there's some, after the target breach and some of this other stuff, more public stuff, they have to disclose it. I don't know if they even have to disclose it. What I wouldn't do, they recommend you sign up for one of these credit card monitoring things. And the problem with those is what those typically do. Tops is probably getting 3 to $5 or $10 a head on that. So they're actually more than likely making money on every referral that gets over there. And they're going to likely rebuild you or try to upsell you. And then you're putting your credit information with another third party that could get hacked too. Those credit guys, credit monitoring guys could get hacked too. They could, they could be really big targets because, you know, they have information that the hackers want. And who knows what they're, you know, maybe they're good at credit monitoring, but they might not be good at securing their own websites either. So I wouldn't want to put my information on, on anything like that either. You can, if you have a credit card, pretty much all of them these days, this is somewhat newer, at least in the last year or two years, I've noticed pretty much all my credit cards, you can click on track my credit score. And I believe, again, I haven't had any issues with this, um, but... I believe it's gotten easier if you have, I don't want to say easier, but if you've, you have errors on your credit report, I have heard anecdotal stories from friends uh, that, that, that you can't have success if, if some, someone does screw up your credit and it wasn't your fault, you can, there is some margin of success there, not in all cases, but uh, certainly there's ways to, to mitigate that. So I would self-monitor. Again, I'm not trying to give anybody financial advice or anything like that. This is my own opinion. But in my opinion, I, w I wouldn't sign up for another service that could get hacked into as well. Um, and, you know, just be as careful as possible, I think, on all these websites. It's, you know, try to pass through as little uh, information as possible. And for me, I always like to pay with credit card. Um, because it is a one call or even on some of these apps, you can literally like cancel, uh, uh, you can literally cancel. I don't think I've even done it or tried it recently at least, but you can, I think on these apps, you can just swipe left and like cancel off a, a thing, cancel off a charge. So pay with credit card, your security's there. It's not a bank account. Someone, yes, could run up your credit card and your credit could be affected. But if you call the credit card company, they, they know fraud, okay? If there's anybody out there that knows fraud, it's Visa and MasterCard and those guys. So they know it when they see it. And typically, if you catch it within you know, your billing cycle, you're going to be okay. Um, oh, yeah, check out my cards. We'll throw this in real late. Bring up our website here, sportscardradio.com. You can always check it out anytime. But I wrote an article where I, it's titled My Year on Check Out My Cards. So I wanted to show you guys um, 
I have that $100 account, which I think is a great starting point for our younger listeners, for people that have been selling and maybe buying on eBay pretty much exclusively or at a card shop or whatever, and they never tried, check out my cards. You know, $100, like I said, it's like a pair of shoes. You know, you can't go wrong necessarily with a $100 uh, box. You can't go, well, you can probably with a box of cards, but you can't really go wrong with a $100 pair of Nikes. They're probably going to look good. They're going to last a little while. Uh, they're going to go with a lot of stuff. You could probably run in them. You could wear them to the, to the bar, wear them, uh, you know, wherever. And $100 in your check on my carts is like that perfect amount. So I uh, ended the year with 14 bucks in cash. I now have about 90 cents because I went on a buying spree. Uh, I had a total asking price of 1250 I had quite a few price uh, cards without uh, that weren't for sale, about 200 cards that aren't for sale. A lot of them are this vintage baseball. Somebody was blowing this stuff out. I mean, I'll give you some example. I bought a 1957 Tops Reno Bertio. It doesn't really matter. It's card number 390. I mean, it's 1957 Tops, and there's no condition qualifiers. So that means this card is probably. I'm going to click on it actually. Um, it's probably. Uh, I'd say it's not like near mint to mint, but I mean, it's centered. It looks nice. I bought it for 80 cents. Lowest price on the site is four bucks. Bought another card, 1959 tops, number two. Bought it for 25 cents, which is the processing fee. Okay, so it's like basically the card for free. Lowest card on the uh, lowest price on the uh, site is a dollar twenty-five, um, and this is all day long. I mean, I got cards for twenty-five cents, twenty cents, and the lowest price on all these was over a dollar. So are they selling for that much? I mean, that's always the question, but I probably can easily triple my money. I mean, these vintage cards sell, especially with no qualifiers. I talked about this, I think, on the last show where I was like, I'm, I hope to, I don't want to say hope to God because it's not that serious, but uh, I, I hope uh, that Tim from Check Out My Cards is listening this deep in the show and he partners with PSA so I can send my 60s baseball cards. Even though Steve Grad, the guy from Pawn Stars, is now with Beckett Grading and Beckett Authentication, if you have 1950s, 60s era baseball cards, you pretty much have to get them graded by PSA. That's just my opinion, my taste, I guess. Um, and there's a lot of re- I, th- I think I described why on the last show. I don't need to go into that again. But... Uh, or this whole story again. But um, anyways, I wanted to get down to the profit line here. I sold like 2,000 cards in, in the year. Sold a lot of cards. Sold, I, I think on the show, as you guys recall, I bought these Michael Jordan cards. Uh, I acquired them, I think, in February for... Um, or no, I acquired them in December of 2015. So right at the end of the year, I acquired over 90 Michael Jordan cards for $0.02 cents each. And I sold them all for about $0.30. Cents. Uh, current price on the site, I think, was like $0.34. Cents, so I really did well. Uh, I sold some for a higher price than even $0.30. Cents. I really just blew them out for 30 But anyways, total storage fees. So those have ticked up all year. So as my – this is really cool. Um, so as the year went on, we had – check out my cards. I, I believe at the beginning of the year wasn't cross-listing onto eBay. That was a revelation later in the year. Now, once that came to pass, I started noticing those cards priced over 75 cents started moving faster, and the profit margin on something like that, and the time to buy and flip something like that was far less than you know flipping 10 cards where you make five cents each. 
I'd rather flip one card and make $3, you know, and that's kind of what I started to see on uh, the stuff that was selling on eBay. And so my storage fees on 1-1-2016, so this time last year, were 29 cents. So I only had literally 29 cards that were priced over 75 cents. Now, last month in December, I'm literally at 10 times that. So now my price, or almost 10 times that. Now my storage fees every month is right at two bucks, at least for the last three months. I was at 206, 204, and in December 2016, I paid $2.30 in storage fees, which means I have uh, 230 cards now. So I have, again, I have over, what's that, 10 times more cards priced over 75 cents. So I've definitely shifted to the higher price card. They definitely sell a little less quickly. You're definitely paying more storage fees, but the pro, the pro, we'll get down to the profit. The profit's there. So I paid a grand total of the year, only $17.28 in storage fees. Now, I said only, I have 1,200 cards here, okay? 1,200 cards in my house, I'm not going to lie, is going to take up some room. Okay. And out here in California, I think I paid, can't remember what I paid for the square foot for my house, but grand total all in, it's a huge number. And so, uh, you know, $17 and 28 cents for storage fees for the whole year is probably where I'd at on a month, on a monthly basis per square foot, um, around here and on my house, it's probably almost exactly actually $17, uh, per square foot, what I pay per month. Um, so there it is for the whole year. So that's kind of how I look at it. It's a great deal. Now I ran some sales and promotions. I had I ran two port sales. One of them I didn't wasn't able to sell the port, but one of them I did and I cashed in really well. It actually set the whole portfolio off. I think I sold it for like two hundred something bucks. So I literally doubled my money um, about a year in. So that was cool. And uh, I ran another sale just one time, but that's it. I didn't, I didn't um, run too many sales. Grand total, I actually, I actually spent more on promotions. Um, I spent twenty three dollars total on promotions. Again, spent seventeen dollars and twenty eight cents on fees, or on storage fees. So my total fees for the year on check out my cards for two thousand sixteen in my hundred dollar account was forty bones. So I paid forty dollars in fees. Now. Let's offset that with how many sales. So I, I sold $641 worth of cards. The cost of those cards, so how much did I pay for them originally? I paid $370. So I almost, almost at like, a, a, you know, a double up there. Um, that would be 740 and I had 640, so close. So I, had, I paid $370 for cards and I sold them for $641. I had $17 worth of storage fees. I had $23 worth of promotion fees. So my total profit for the year, ding, 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 drum roll, please, cue it, $230.72. I mean, that is, guys, I mean, I, I, I think I even have a commenter. Let's see what this commenter said. Way too much work for that profit. I like my money to be made with as little actual work as possible. And no, I, hey, look, and I said I might have to foreclose on my new house and trade in my Mercedes if 2017 picks up. It's obviously a tongue-in-cheek response, which I'm known for. Um, but look, this account was started with $100. That's the point. I have another account on checking my cards with 50,000 cards in it, okay? And I have another one that I have a 500 I'm locked out of that has like $500 in it, okay? So I have a bunch of check on my cards accounts. Okay, this is just one for example to show you. 
I started with $100 and I cashed $230. This is profit. Okay, I re-spent that back on cards, obviously, throughout the years to generate this profit. I had to keep, I couldn't just pull this money out. If I pulled this money off the site, I mean, that's kind of the, the rub with the site is if I pulled this money out at any time, then I can't make the 230 or, or I'll make a fraction of that because I got to keep buying cards and I got to keep reselling them. But at some point, I'm going to reach scale with this account to where it's like, yeah, if I wanted to peel off 20 to $30 every month just as free cash, this, this account will get there. If it keeps, trust me, if it keeps going like that, if you can start an account a year, this, this account's only a year and a half old. And over the course of the year, off a $100 investment, you can generate $230 of profit. Yes, in a very short time, probably only like two more years, this, will this account will generate free cash for me. I will be pulling what essentially could be called like a dividend off this account. Whether it's in cash, whether I ship myself a card, whatever it is. I'll literally be able to pull a check from this account. Obviously, I'll have to keep churning the account over, but at that point, I'll have theoretically maybe even 10,000 cards. And so the need for me to keep reinvesting all the money um, isn't there anymore. I already have 10,000 cards. Why do I need to buy even more? I probably need to lower the price on some and, and keep selling them. Obviously, if the deals start drying up on the side as well, maybe the prices of all the cards start getting more efficient. Then obviously... I, you know, I'll start pulling money out of the account. I don't think I'm at that point. I, I'm not at that point, obviously, with this account right now. But like I said, this account is only a year and six months old. I've only sold not even $1,000 worth of cards here. But um, very quickly, I'll probably, you know, it'll keep scaling up. I'll keep making better and better decisions. Um, the site is, is getting more and more popular from a buyer standpoint and from a, a you know, a trust standpoint with collectors, um, even more so over the last couple of years that I've been using it, uh, even more so over this last year. So yeah, this account will definitely generate free cash. Now, um, I don't call this work either. Okay. This is, I'm doing this for fun. This is for, um, really this hundred dollar account is really just for illustration. I just want to show you guys this. Check out my cards in the past has offered me money, I think, for this type of content, and I, I've declined it. So I could have turned this into some money. But um, quite frankly, you know, there, there's even better ways. You, you'd be surprised. There's even better ways to make money than that. Um, but speaking of money, Hannes Wagner, number two of 25. This is a 2015. My, my, I think my highest profit margin was this. I, I bought the card for $1.95, and I sold it for $19.99. I mean, that's just... Incredible. So I will buy this. I will say, in particular, Panini Cooperstown, the Hall of Fame stuff, will sell. Especially the serial numbered stuff does sell. And when I saw that card for $1.95 and I priced it at $19.99, I wasn't high, okay? I was literally thinking I was going to get $19.99 for it. Or, I'm, you know, I might have to put it on sale. I thought maybe put it 50% off sale for 10 That'd still be a great profit margin from 2 to 10 but yeah, I went from $2.95 to 
Um, the other one that I actually was more, even more telegraphed was Ish Smith. Um, late last year, I was really into daily fantasy because I was, it was college football was just super great last year. And, uh, Ish Smith was tearing it up a little bit. I think he got traded even, uh, or this might have been before he got traded. Um, but I bought a couple, several of his autograph cards for under $2, and I sold uh, one of them in particular for 15 So that was another one, and obviously the Jordan one. So um, some great sales off that account. And like I said, uh, I, I mean, Check out my cards, his offer to pay me money to promote the site. And I said, no, I'll promote it for free because I like it that much. I'm not trying to blow smoke up your guys' butts. If you haven't started an account on Check Out My Cards, you don't even need $100. Start with 10 bucks, And you could say, hey, uh, I don't like selling cards. Uh, well, do you like buying cards? Do you like money? If you don't like selling cards, well, do you like buying cards? If you like buying cards, then you want to get on Check Out My Cards. You want to open up an account. And you want to put $10 to $100 on there to start out with. If you're not sure about the site, if you're not sure, if you're not confident in what me and, and thousands of other people have already found out, that this site is literally like free money. And for you, if you don't like selling cards, it'd be like free baseball cards because you could buy a couple cards and resell them. And then buy the cards you want. Now, I will say, not everybody, I think, is cut out for this. I think a lot of um, really hardcore collectors might not have the eye for what sells. I think I have a, a keen eye for what sells. I am definitely very picky, especially within this $100 account. Within the other accounts, not as much. But within this $100 account, I'm very picky. If I'm buying the card for $0.10, cents, it needs to be priced at $0.30 cents or higher. Unless, very rarely, will I make an exception. Occasionally, I'll make an exception for 2016 cards. Here's another kind of insider check on my cards tips. If you're buying this 2016, not sending it in, okay? But if you're buying this 2016 stuff that is popping up on the site and guys are dumping it off for what seems like a low price, it tends to go lower and lower. Because once they start popping up on the site, then that means a flood of them is coming, usually coming onto the site. And so what I typically like to do with some of that stuff is buy it for the, maybe it's 20, 25 cents. The guy was just really trying to break even on it. Maybe try to quick flip it for maybe some storage fees or whatever. I try to quick flip that card for 50 cents. So I'm only trying to double my money. But everything else, if I buy the car for a dollar, I'm trying to reprice it for three. If I buy it for 25 cents, I'm trying to price it for 75 or higher. Obviously, it doesn't always work out. It doesn't work out perfectly, but certainly um, the strategy I'm going with with this check on my cards account. And if you have that kind of discipline, even if you're not a great buyer of the cards, I actually think you can, you can probably do well. Um, you can probably do well on the account. You probably can make some sales. That or just focus on the high end player, hall of fame player. Don't buy anything other than a hall of fame type player. 
either a guy that's in the Hall of Fame or a guy like Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or something like that, that aside from like an O.J. Simpson hiccup, they're, they're headed to the Hall of Fame. And those cards sell all day. Or vintage. Really, if you're really scared and you really want to play it safe, look at how the velocity in which vintage cards sell on Check Out My Cards. I mean, they sell very quickly. And that's why I buy them and I don't even, I don't even often reprice them. Because I actually think the old grandpa that buys vintage hasn't even probably gotten over to check out my cards yet. Wait until those guys start getting over there. Whichever way you want to go, uh, you know, again, do you like free money? Do you like free cards? If so, you need to set up a check on my cards account. They are not paying me to say this. I have visited their headquarters. I do admire what they, what they have built from scratch, from zero, with no investment. That is a very um, rare accomplishment in any business but especially sports cards. Zero, zero outside investment. Started all organically, basically as a guy's website. And uh, pretty soon will be the number one place to buy baseball cards. Pretty, pretty amazing. Um, so yeah, that's about it. 200 bucks a profit in a year. So I'm really excited to see how to really 2017, more of the same. Again, check out my cards. Um, you know, we might have some fee changes. We might have some changes this year. Again, change is good. Okay. Don't be one of those people out there that, oh no, now, now this is cost money or no, this costs money. That might be a great time to buy. I'm waiting for that. I'm actually waiting for that moment where everybody feels like check on my cards just screwed them. And everybody wants to sell their cards and just dump them off and get off the site and just kind of tilt, tilt, run a sale and tilt, sell a bunch of cards. I'll be there to buy them all. Remember, pro. Price going up is good. If you're a seller, that is good. Price going up if you're a seller is good. Fees going up if you're a seller is good. Charge more. Let all the weak guys say, oh, fees, oh, more expensive, I'm out. Cool, get out. Even less competition. So change is good. Increasing price is good. Increasing price is good. Except when it's... Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm referring specifically to like secondary market price going up. You see what I'm saying? Like retail price, $15,000 box, doesn't make a lot of sense. Unless there's like a Rolex inside. Or it, like a keys to the Mercedes inside. Okay, then it might make sense. But when it's go meet Chris Bryan at a B-rate off-strip hotel, I mean, I'm not gonna lie, I'd, I'd, I'd be down. I, I mean, 
I wouldn't even go be Chris Bryant. I would just go to go to, that's how cool Las Vegas, I mean, Las Vegas is amazing. But, uh, yeah, throw in, I don't think, I mean, Chris Bryant's not, not somebody I'm too excited about, but. I'd be excited about Vegas. That's for damn sure. Um, you know, the Lakers sometimes play in Vegas, so we'll segue into them. Uh, they play a summer league game there, or they play summer league and they play an exhibition game. Uh, I did see it one year that when it was at the MGM ground, I think it's at the new arena now in Las Vegas, the T-Mobile arena, which is like across the street from the MGM, basically behind New York, New York. And just a beautiful, beautiful what they've done on that side of the street in Las Vegas. I remember, you know, when I first started going to Vegas, which was only maybe about eight years ago, eight, nine years ago, maybe not even that, maybe like seven years ago. Um, you walked on the other side of the street. It was really like the MGM side was the side you walked on. And then you crossed over a little bit later, got down to the Aria, you'd cross over. But now, man, you walk on that New York, New York side, walk by, I think it's the Monte Carlo over there. There's Shake Shack, which is amazing. There's not one in Northern California yet. They're in Southern California. Guarantee you they'll come out here in Northern California. The, the, I don't know if I'll be able to go the day it opens because I'll probably be a stupid line. But uh, the minute the line dies down, I'll be going to Shake Shack, driving to where uh, – probably some, somewhere in San Francisco is where, where the first one will, will open up here. Speaking of investment, if you have a really long, long time horizon, and also I would recommend also with Shake Shack – their symbol is Shaq, S-H-A-K, I think. So here's my advice with, a sh- I- I've been contemplating, a- I had a bite of their chicken sandwich and I've been contemplating buy, uh, uh, shares, buying shares of Shake Shack ever since I took a bite of that sandwich because it was one of the best bites I've ever had of a fat, well, I- Shake Shack's not really fast food, but fast casual, I guess. Um, but I, I've always been on the fence. These these high valuation companies are hard to hard to pin down, um, unless it's like an Amazon. You can pin it down. Maybe even Tesla. I could see maybe, but um, certainly Amazon. I, I actually own shares of Amazon. I could uh, the the valuation is it might be low, uh, might might be too low. The shares are m- probably undervalued. But anyways. Um, with Shake Shack, that's harder, to, much, much, much harder to determine. But what I do know is if you have a long time horizons and you're willing to po- quite possibly have to reload on Shake Shack, so you buy, uh, for example, you buy share, I think shares right now are about 30 to 35 or somewhere in that range. They've been trading in kind of a, like a 32 to $40 range for, for about a year now. So somewhere in that range. I'd like to buy the shares with a two in front of them, so somewhere in the 20s. And even that is stretching it. I don't even know if I would do that. But because you might have to buy the shares when they're 15. You might have to buy the shares when they're eight, okay? Um, But I do think Shake Shack's got a long time horizon. If you like the concept, if you think they're going to be able to build that concept out and stretch it really wide, not quite maybe like a jack-in-the-box or like certainly something like McDonald's, but if they could scale out just a little bit bigger, maybe 
you know, qu- quite a bit bigger, but um, the runway is there and you'd be in early. Um, Shake Shack went public. I don't want to say early, but they are a young company. And um, it's one of the rare times I've ever seen an invest. You know, it'd be like buying Starbucks back, back 10, 15 years ago, whenever they went public. That was a, uh, that was a concept people, it certainly wasn't a new concept, but um, was a different concept and, and people didn't think it was going to work. Otherwise, everybody had Starbucks shares, and those those shares are probably worth a fortune. So if you took a chance back then, uh, it probably would have paid off. I don't know about Shake Shack, but I just know. I had a bite of that chicken sandwich, and I was like, God damn, if one of those was in California, I would drive a long ways uh, to have one. Uh, it's just that good. And I tried to recreate it myself. Uh, made a good, good fried chicken. I didn't try to put it on a sandwich, but... Nowhere near as good as Shake Shack, so very very nice uh, food there. Throwing a little investment bite uh, there. Last bit, Brandon Ingram is getting better. It's amazing these little 18, 19-year-old, no, he's probably 19 or 20. Um, he's not little, but he is young. Uh, they can progress. I, I don't know how great of a shooter he will be, but I have seen some progress with Brandon Ingram going to the basket. I saw him go to the basket and get swatted by like a European white guy that probably can, has like a four-inch vertical. And I was very worried. Uh, but I've seen some signs of life. He's not an above-the-rim player, so he's going to have to work on his body control, but I have seen him finish and make some, some nice basketball plays. Uh, so... There is some hope there, but I think I don't think he's worth paying up for. I don't know what his prices are in relation with everybody else. I don't think I'd pay up for him this year. I think I'd collect Brandon Ingram over the summertime or certainly heading into next season uh, because I see the progression with uh, D'Angelo Russell is a player. Uh, I, again, I don't know what his card prices are in relation to Brandon Ingram or in relation to him to – uh, Carl Anthony Towns is on another level, uh, at least for right now. But uh, D'Angelo Russell uh, w- will probably be a very solid player and could could be a very key part of the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, say with Julius Randle. I don't see – I will say this. I don't see Brandon Ingram. I, I don't see D'Angelo Russell. I don't see um, – Julius Randle, I, I don't see Kobe Bryant, okay, in any of those three, obviously. I don't see Shaq, obviously. I don't see Magic Johnson, obviously, okay. But could Julius Randle be close to, like, James Worthy? Sure. And the Lakers have had many, 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 many great players. And I actually think those three um, combined could be a great Great uh, three combo player. I don't know how how long we can keep them all under contract and how quickly they'll progress to that point. But uh, nice group of players uh, that they have there in Los Angeles, and I think that will drive some collecting uh, dollars. Again, I I I don't know if I can say I recommend buying their cards because I don't know where their prices are in relationship to each other. But what I will say, I think the valuation uh, outside of like a championship run, which is not going to happen this year or or even next year, I don't think, um, unless some free agent comes, unless, you know, Shaq comes walking in the door, a 23-year-old Shaq comes walking through the door, um, which is not going to happen. But uh, I will say with the Lakers, 
in particular. I think that there is some upside capped there. Uh, again, outside of some kind of run like the Warriors kind of had. The reason why I say that is all three are good players, but none of them I don't think are going to be that elite A personality, Kobe Bryant type elite player. They're going to all be contributing kind of like what the Warriors have going on and even you know what a lot of teams in the NBA seem like they have going on right now. They have a lot of good players. You know, look at like Milwaukee. They got, yeah, onto to Kempo, and they've got uh, Parker, and they've got a, a lot, you know, but they've got a lot of good players in Milwaukee, and they're a good team. And the Spurs won championships for years like that. I mean, yeah, they had Tim Duncan, but they had a lot of good players uh, on and off the bench around them. So um, it ca- in those situations, it caps upside, okay? The Lakers, there's always the wild card. Uh, you know, you go on a championship run. The fans love you. Uh, there's marketing. There's, you know, all that stuff. You know, you're a bigger star there in Los Angeles. But um, that's why I wouldn't be running in and buying those guys, okay? I think the Lakers have a good thing going, but I think you could wait even just even one more one more full season get through this season lakers are not going to make a playoff run they're not going to make a championship run by june only thing people are going to be talking about are the two teams that went to the finals and what happened um and and then the nba draft which the lakers may or may not have a pick in um so Lakers are going to be out of the news cycle from about may until October. That's when I would be buying Julius Randle, D'Angelo Russell, Brandon Ingram. Um, that's when I and hey, that's what the you know you're. Some of you guys might say we're three hours deep or an hour deep into a show, and now you're telling me you know you, I got to buy these cards three months from now. But that's what you got. You got to prepare. Maybe set aside a budget. Maybe start watching the cards. Start determining the prices. This is all. This is why collecting is fun. This is why I do the show. This is why I do. I mean, I don't collect cards. I don't have cards sitting around my house. I have like a Joe Panic card that I quote unquote bought my wife. So when she's mad at me, she can look at Joe. Ooh, Joe Panic did get married, so my marriage is secure. Because if Joe Panic was still single, my wife could leave me for him. Uh, seriously, but. Um, Especially, I got the 55-inch TV now. When Joe Panic comes on, you know, it's not baseball season, but when it is, she gets excited. But uh, I don't collect cards, okay? I have some other things that I collect, but it's not, not cards, okay? I like to uh, collect appreciating assets. And most cards, almost, although I won't say most cards, uh, I did another article on sports, not to pimp our site con- continuously here, but if you go to sportscardradio.com, and uh, it might be on the homepage, you might have to click latest articles, but um, I, I did a um, top-selling cards in 2016. So PSA ran down cards on their uh, website and on their Twitter feed. So if you go to... I think PSA card or, or their website, their blog, they had a top 10 list and this was in the private auctions. So, and if you recall, we had a podcast about this. There were several forum threads and, and investigations and criminal indictments. And I think criminal convictions of 
people, including people tied to PSA company, that um, were involved in essentially shill bidding at these major card auctions. So you have to take all these card prices with a grain of salt. However, we have to assume based on the convictions and the shill bidding stuff that has come to light, we have to assume that um, maybe these prices are more accurate now. I don't know. Maybe they're less accurate because all the buyers have dried up and now the shill bidding's even more rapid. Or maybe now that the heat is on, the shill bidding's gone away and these prices are accurate. I have no idea. But we saw a Hannes Wagner card, which is typical. This card, I think, gets price fixed in, in kind of the same manner. So, you know, there's only a few people in the whole world that want a Hannes Wagner T206. I mean, I, I take that back. There's a lot of people in the world that want a T206 Hannes Wagner. There are very few people in the world that want to pay the amount of money it would take to get a T206 Hannes Wagner card. Okay, not only want to pay that amount, but actually have the money and actually pay it. Okay, there's very few. We're probably talking about a small, small group of people. So these people could elevate this price of this card every year if they wanted by any amount of money. They could just bid up the same group of cards and just keep rotating them. Obviously, they have to find a safety deposit box or pay more in insurance. Um, so that's kind of a pain in the ass. But other than that, you can, you can drive the price on these rare, rare, rare collectibles. And I expect these to keep going up. I, I was watching CNBC the other day, and they had a guy on there. I can't remember his name, but he was talking about comic books and how he had just sold his, his comic book collection. And he made a really great point that, you know, collectors want the Holy Grail. You know, the Holy Grail always is in style. Okay, yeah, the price of these Hannes Wagners could go down in, in recession eras and, and stuff like that, and I could see the price plateauing or peaking or going down a little bit, but... At the end of the day, everybody, the Hannes Wagner card is, is arguably the Holy Grail baseball card. And so it will always be valuable. Okay? And so it sold for $3.1 million on October 2016. The second highest price card, another card sold for over, we have two cards sell for over a million dollars at public auction. 1952 Mantle, which is another, which is another Holy Grail, maybe even second in line in Holy Grail baseball cards. 1952 Topps Mickey Mantle, graded PSA 8.5. Wow. That sold for $1.1 million in 2016. The rest of the cards, another Hannes Wagner. You know a card that I've actually seen appreciate very much just in the last couple years? Uh, for whatever reason, I don't know if people are bidding this up for any reason. It, it could be shill bidding. I don't know. but or, or price fixing or whatever it is. Just could be natural demand for this card. But the 1963 Pete Rose card, uh, this card uh, has gained either in price and popularity or both. Uh, and last year, PSA 10 sold for $717,000. That was the fourth highest card sold. Um, so a not quote unquote not all famer. Uh, P Rose should be all of fame. Uh, and then finally Babe Ruth, a Babe Ruth card for, card for, sold for seven hundred seventeen thousand. But um, another site posted um, eBay values, and so Roberto Clemente was the highest card sold on eBay through the year, um, at least according to the site, was ninety four thousand um, dollars. So that was quite a bit. Um, in basketball, 
Michael Jordan still rules. Vintage cards in particular still uh, still rule a little bit. But the one thing I noted about going through the top selling basketball cards is it's not as reliant on the vintage cards. So Michael Jordan cards, whether or not you call 84, 85, or 85, 86 vintage, I don't know. But um, you know, you'll see Kobe Bryant cards in the top selling cards or uh, Michael Jordan jersey cards, jersey autograph cards in the top selling cards. And Steph Curry is certainly up there as well. Football. Football was interesting. I actually looked at the football top selling cards. What's interesting about football is really the only you think, oh, Ezekiel Elliott's really hot. Uh, you know, Dak Prescott really hot. The most modern card, at least in, on according to this site, uh, was 2000. So Tom Brady's cards is the most modern card. Every other card was made before that, and the only other card really made in the la- in kind of the 90s was Peyton Manning cards. So Peyton Manning cards will t- pop in uh, at some of the top-selling football cards, and Tom Brady's will come in at the top-selling football cards. I would put those two, if you're looking for like long-term investment, I would put those two near the top, uh, especially Tom Brady for whatever reason. Uh, I just think his legacy is going to be good uh, going forward. The same with Peyton Manning. Nothing gets him. But if they're already in the top selling cards, imagine like 20 years from now. Okay, yeah, yeah, maybe somebody comes along and, and eclipses them, but it'd be hard. I don't know if I'd buy him right now. I'd wait for him to cool down. I mean, we've seen Joe, Mont- Joe Montana was probably up here, and some of these other guys when they were in the prime of their career were probably up here, but... Um, not anymore. It's really, you know, Sid Luckman, Joe Namath, Jim Brown, those kind of guys are, are in the tops. Joe Montana is still up there, especially uh, PSA 10s and stuff like that. But the point is, Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Proscott don't even, don't even come close, don't even scratch the surface of the top-selling football cards. Okay, Their cards don't even compare to what people are paying for Tom Brady rookie cards, Peyton Manning rookie cards. Sid Luckman rookie cards, Joe Namath rookie cards. So, and some some people might argue hey, that means they have a long ways to go up, but uh, could also mean that um, it could mean that. But it, it also shows you, man, it's probably not worth paying uh, what the prices uh, these these companies are charging for these products. But, uh, yeah, now we're deep, deep into the ninth inning, extra innings here, and so we should probably close things out. So appreciate everybody listening uh, this long. Got a nice uh, nice break here to record the show. I am removing lead paint at the moment myself. Uh, so whether or not how smart that is, I don't know. Although I'm not... It's actually the layer underneath has lead, but unfortunately the layer of paint on top of the lead paint is flaking off. So I I can't, ideally when you have lead paint, you just paint over it. But unfortunately, I and this is in my kitchen, okay, like one of the most important rooms in the house, I literally have paint peeling off the ceiling. And I mean, I bought the house this way. I, I, I knew this was a problem. I know how to fix it. 
but unfortunately you got to be really careful removing now i have to be i tested the first layer and i was like yes no lead paint but then i noticed oh there's this second layer of paint underneath it i couldn't really see it until i really started getting into it and so luckily i tested that or i was smart enough to test that and uh, sure enough that had lead in it for sure so um you know, you got to be really careful, but it's not that, it's not that, uh, but if I do keel over, I didn't keel over during this show, but yeah, if this is the last show that I ever record, I'm sorry for the lead paint doing it probably. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I have my house like kind of quarantined right now and I can't really do anything this late at night. So, um, it was, it was one of the few, few nights I have, uh, and I actually had to send my wife out of the house because she is pregnant and lead, uh, I mean, you don't want to mess around with lead paint, but especially if you're pregnant. Um, I have sent my wife, unfortunately, out of the house several times as we're redoing this place because it's just the nature. We bought a really old home. It needed a full restoration. And quite frankly, when you're doing a full restoration, uh, you're going to find asbestos. Luckily, we've tested for that in certain spots, and we haven't found that yet. I'm sure it's in this house, but we haven't found it, at least in the parts we've had to to kind of tear up there hasn't been asbestos but there's definitely lead paint there's all that stuff um so definitely i'm sure most of you guys are aware of that out there but um if you're working on houses or if you're in the market for a house if you're a young person um or a younger person like me and you're in the market for your first house you know don't under s don't let that i'll, I'll first say don't let that shy you away I bought this house knowing there was asbestos. No, bought this house knowing there'd be lead and all these challenges to the renovation. But, d you know, don't let that sway you, okay? Don't let that sway you, okay? Because I'm doing a full, full renovation, floor to ceiling. Of the, we did, floor to roof, actually. We redid the roof already. We're doing a full renovation floor to roof. Um, and you know, again, it's a big financial commitment for my wife and I, but we're, we're definitely not rich at all, not even close. Um, but it can be done. So don't let, don't go buy a house in the, in the crappy, you know, uh, uh you know, trust me, those houses built in the nineties are going to fall apart too. Okay, and, and it may not, they may not cause you cancer or lead poisoning, but they're going to cause you the same kind of headaches. But it's been fun. I tell you what, get yourself high, you know, my last, my last home building tip for you or home renovation. A lot of you guys might be in a home. You might want to do, maybe not your whole home, but maybe you want to do your bedroom or you want to do your kid's room or you want to do an office or something like that. High quality paint, okay? Use high quality paint and a high quality, for me, a high quality paint sprayer gets you some of the best results. High quality paint, like a Benjamin Moore, they have like $60, $70 paint. I mean, expensive paint's like $40. You go to Benjamin Moore and like, it, like it's 70 bucks for a gallon of paint. But let me tell you what, the results are spectacular. You get yourself a USA made uh, paint sprayer for maybe between $150 and $200, $300. You learn how to use it, and you get amazing results. And so um, I highly encourage anybody out there. I mean, I've, I've done this stuff throughout my life, but I've never done uh, the quite, quite all the things that I've done here. Um, it's doable, and you save a ton of money. 
you do save a lot of money. I'm spraying, again, the highest, basically the highest quality paint you can buy, the most expensive paint you can buy. And it's a fraction of the cost. I, I actually got bids on a lot of the work. Um, and it, they just, just to paint my kitchen, not do my cabinets. I have a 300, I have a 190 square foot kitchen, very small kitchen, just to paint the walls and the ceilings, not the cabinets was like $1,600. I'm going to be able to repaint the whole thing for $250 worth of paint of the highest quality paint. And so it just shows you, I mean, yeah, I'll be in there for, it's going to take me three weeks, but Look, I'm, I'm a podcaster, so I have, I have the time. So if you have the time, some of you might not have the liberty of being at home, working from home, maybe being work late hours like I can do, um, or work odd, you know, work on Sundays and things like that. But if you do find the time, if you have any questions, send me an email, sportscardshow at gmail.com. You can send me uh, a tweet at sportscardradio. You can send me your Questions about stocks. You can send me your questions about baseball cards, football cards. You can send me your questions about home renovations. You can send me your questions about buying uh, a nice luxury vehicle. Certainly have strong opinions about all those things. You can send me your questions about buying um, expensive dress shoes. I don't think I've ever gone on that tangent. We're probably too late on this show. But uh, expensive dress shoes. Buy yourself a nice, expensive pair of dress shoes. It'll save you a lot of money uh, in the long run. Um, sometimes spending more money up front saves you money. That's why I'm doing a whole home renovation now. People asked or laughed at me when I bought this house, but I said, I'm going to do it right and do it once and put in very high-quality materials and spend a lot of money on them and make sure they're put in right, make sure everything's done properly so I don't have to do it again. Because if it's done right the first time with high-quality materials, typically you don't have to redo it. And, and, and think about that when you're, car, when you're collecting cards. Do it right. Do the research. I loved looking at what kind of floors I was going to buy. I love looking to check on my car, see what kind of card I'm going to buy. Even I got 45 cents in my $100 account. I love even that challenge. Now it's a challenge. Oh, I only have 45 cents and we're coming up. Oh, well, it's only the 7th, 8th as I record this. So if it was the 28th, I'd be worried because I'm going to pay $2 in storage fees. So I'd have to sell some cards. So the point is, do it right the first time. In sports cards, that doesn't always mean buy this stuff the first day it comes out. If it's proven time and time and time and time again, like Top Series 1, like I said, that set has proven itself time and time again that you could buy a $3 pack and find value out of that. You could buy a $10 pack and $10 rack pack and get value out of that. You could buy a $20 value blaster box and get value out of it. That's why I go and look for that set year after year after year. I gave you another example of 
prospecting the Lakers, a team I love, a team I like. But in my opinion, all their players have kind of a capped upside now that they're all kind of young and developing. That's going to cap their upside right now. So I'll wait. I'll wait until, again, May through October. The Lakers are going to be out of the news cycle. They don't have Kobe Bryant. Kobe Bryant's not walking through the door. I don't think LeBron James or Steph Curry are going to come walking through the door. I could be wrong. They do have Luke Walton. I know. How, I don't know how uh, big the pull is, but I don't think the Lakers are even looking to go in that direction. So do the research, spend the time. If you do that in this hobby, if you really think about it, really take your time, you're already listening to a podcast like two hours in. You can definitely do the research and not get screwed and definitely inform your other collectors. I think that's the second, second maybe, I mean, this is why I started the podcast. This is why the podcast is still going on after we're like in our eighth or ninth year here. Think of all the other sports card podcasts that have come and gone. Over those times, too. Come and gone, maybe come back and gone again. Think about them all. And I'm here, we're here, quite frankly, because we've preached the whole time discipline, money management. of buying sports cards. It's not go buy, you know, oh, let's bring Tracy Hackler on and talk about Pinini Replay and you guys should go buy it and let's go, next week we'll talk about Gridiron and next week we'll talk about uh, Clear Vision and next week we'll talk about National Treasures and then next week we'll talk about Contenders and then the next week, no. It's let's figure out what's a good set and go after that. Let's go after the good players but then figure out what's a good time to buy them. Let's look at sites like check out my cards and realize, wow, I could really, you know, engage myself in the hobby of buying and selling on the site really casually and it can either turn into an income stream. Like I, I for sure, it will turn in uh, to me off just $100. It'll literally turn into an income stream. Or it could turn into a side business or just a hobby or whatever it is. But do the research. Uh, go after whatever whatever excites you, makes you passionate. Whatever you have the most. If you have fun bu- buying $15,000 boxes, invite me over. And let me, let me preface that. If you have fun opening $15,000 boxes, invite me over before you spend the $15,000. And trust me, let me decide how we're going to spend the $15,000 and we'll compare how much fun we have. Trust me, I can have way more fun with 15 Gs than opening a box of baseball cards. Well, shit. We'll open up some baseball cards. We'll spend maybe a thousand of it on some baseball card boxes and probably get some really nice cards. But we can spend the other $14,000 on a private jet, a little, I don't want to say anything illegal, but we can load up the jet and get loaded up 
in any uh, number of cities around the U.S., but primarily Las Vegas. And we'll hit that dice table really hot. We'll have them bump up the limits, and we'll be bumping. That's for sure. Uh, <laughs> um, that's about it, folks. Talking about bumping in Vegas, so that's probably about time to close things out. Not that I have any experience with uh, any of that. Um, so, hope you glad. Uh, hope you enjoyed today's show. If you have any suggestions, shorter shows, longer shows, more frequent shows, less frequent shows, show topics, send me an email: sportscardshow at gmail.com. Tweet at me at sportscardradio. Don't follow me if you don't want to make America great again, but you can tweet at me no matter what you want with America or Russia or whatever. But don't follow me if you are offended by that kind of stuff. Uh, Get at me on Facebook. Get at me on YouTube. Start your own podcast and, and talk trash on me or invite me on. I don't care. Either one. Uh, if you start your own podcast and you want me to promote it or you want to come on here and promote it, uh, send me an email. S- send me a tweet. Uh, but other than that, I hope everybody's doing well out there. hope everybody had a happy new year. Merry Christmas, Hanukkah, the whole Chinese New Year, whatever it is. Thank you uh, for hanging with us after all these years. Another year. Here we are. I think we started in 2008. I actually looked at my podcast account today as I was logging into it. It said I started the, the account in 2008. Here we are in 2017. So we're still here. The hobby's still going. And it's always changing. And it's, it's a pleasure to share that all with you here on the show. But until another time, another place, we're going to go. Thanks for tuning in. We are out of here.